Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Good morning. Excellent. We are already off to good participation. If you remember at the beginning of the summer, I told you I'm a youth pastor. I expect a little banter, a little back and forth. I'll ask you questions, expect answers. I may even have you pause and think and contemplate. Be a little youth pastor with you up here. Uh, I do want to thank you as a youth pastor. It's been a busy summer, and it's an awesome opportunity to kind of bookend the summer, the beginning of taught, and then uh, preaching here today. Thank you. As, as a youth pastor here at this church, thank you for allowing me to run all over Kingdom Come with the youth. Uh, we had camp, uh, missions trip, another missions trip, stand missions trip here. It's been a wonderful summer, and so I just want to thank you. And I bring that up because one of the great things that happened over the summer is opportunities for me to pause and reflect, discern, look. You guys have those moments. Anybody feel like summer just started and it's Labor Day next weekend? Hey, group participation. I saw some hands. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, But we have those moments throughout the summer where all of a sudden it just gets going and going. And I really wanted the Lord to teach me some things. I've been having some moments where I'm like, Lord, teach me what you want me to know. Show me something that you want me to see. And the summer really became that for me. And so uh, it was unique that as that happened, we're stepping into a series on sanctification and I knew that this was coming because that is part of sanctification. When we, we ask the Lord to show us something, why do we ask him to show us something? So that we can become more like Christ. We ask the Lord to do a work in our life, why? So that we can become more like Christ. As we become more like Christ, that is becoming sanctified. That is us becoming more in the image of Christ. So we're going to do a youth pastor thing here real quick. Before I get into the message, what I want each and every person to do is I want you to pause for a moment. Close your eyes if that's helpful, if you're distracted by the sights around you. And I want you to think for 10, 15, 20 seconds, what are the things right now that you think the Lord might be trying to do in your life to make you more like Christ. Take a few seconds and think about that. That can be hard for some of us. Maybe we don't pause, we don't think, we don't take a moment to reflect. But now that I hope each and every person here has at least one thing in your mind, I don't know if you're like me, I can think of about 100 things right now that I know the Lord wants me to be more Christ-like. But hopefully, as a child of God, if you are here, you have at least one in your mind. I wanna go back and remind us what we've talked about so far in sanctification. Bruce shared a couple weeks ago kind of the foundation. And one of the takeaways for me that I thought was really beneficial as we stepped into this series was he talked about kind of the two different types of sanctification. He talked about how there is the definitive sanctification and then there's the progressive sanctification. The difference being the definitive work is the work that is done in the moment of salvation. It's this concrete foundation on which all future work of becoming more like Christ is built on. This is, this is there, it's concrete, it's definitive. 
And then there's progressive sanctification. This is the dual working of God and man to become more like Christ. These are those conscious, active moments in which we look at our life and we're presented with a choice and we say, I can choose A, which glorifies God, or I can choose B, which doesn't glorify God. As a child of God with the Holy Spirit upon you, you should choose A. That, that's the choice you should make. So Haddon then last week reminded us from John 15 about our need to be attached to the vine. I love how the Bible uses so many different analogies to help us understand the way that our life works, the way that we connect with Christ. And he talked about being attached to the vine. And he talked about how the goal of that is to be fruitful. And so the Lord will prune if necessary, but the goal is that our lives would be fruitful as followers of Jesus. Where I plan to go today concerning sanctification is although it's hard sometimes, it's still good and it is for our good. What I hope to share today is a mix of both the definitive and the progressive work. There are times and moments and situations that happen in our life where we are being made more into the image of Christ and it can be hard. Whether it's hard because we're in a fallen sinful world whether it's hard because the fight of faith is being played out or whether it's an onslaught of the world's sinfulness pressing upon us and it's challenging us to cling more to Christ or whether it's the corrective hand of the Father who is doing the pruning and the hard work to refine us. All of this is the work of God. And no matter what course or path is taking us, we can be called as image bearers, as children of God to respond in a similar likewise manner one of worship. That's why I had Alan read the entire passage, the entire chapter, because there is a playing out that we will see from Hebrews 12 that shows the course of a life of sanctification. This is the call on our life. We should walk boldly into worship of our good God even when we feel we can barely stand. We will still remember the Lord and we will worship. So that's where we're going. Hopefully you have something in mind Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, I feel unworthy to stand and open your word. I pray that you would speak through me that the truth of who you are and the work that you do in our lives would be evident to us here now. Teach us from your word. May we worship as we hear the word preached. In your son's name, amen. So the first few chapters are a fairly common, probably memorized by many here, youth pastor moment. How many of you have memorized Hebrews 12, one and two? Either people aren't raising their hands or there's not enough of you memorizing verses here. Memorize Hebrews 12, one and two. It's a good verse to memorize. It's beautiful because it calls upon believers to run this race, this, race, this faith race, and it's a reminder to us. Why is this necessary? Because life's hard. How many of you would agree that life has its moments of hardship? There we go. More hands are going up. Once again, interaction's important. It's hard. We know this to be true. Let's just admit it before we start. Life has its moments that are very hard. Does that mean it's always hard? No, it doesn't. There are great joys in our life, but there are moments where it's hard. And it might be hard for various reasons. There could be something that one person is enduring that you may look at and go, I don't get why that's so hard. But you may be enduring something else that they look at and go, 
I don't know why that's so hard. We are all uniquely being sanctified, but it is all going to a common place, becoming more like Christ. The finish line is the same. The hurdles and the challenges on this race that we run are different and unique for each person, but they are there to make us more like Christ. So let's read. First two verses we looked at. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, if you need a little uh, Bible study hint, you see the word therefore, you should ask a question. Anybody know what that question is? Hey, you guys are getting interactive. This is awesome. If you didn't hear that, if you see the word therefore in a passage that you're memorizing or a passage that you're reading, you should pause and go, what's the therefore, therefore? It's pointing to something. It's a, it's a conjunctive adverb. It's like there's something going on, conditional connection here. So we need to get that understood before we go any further. So we're just gonna touch on that real quick. The first word being therefore, it means that we should ask what's it there for? It's pointing to something. So what is it pointing to? It's pointing to the chapter before and also the entire book of Hebrews. Now the book of Hebrews is an incredible book. Um, I absolutely love it. Youth group, we will be doing the book of Hebrews on Wednesday nights. So it is an exciting chapter, exciting book for me to uh, tackle with you guys. But it's unpacking how Jesus is better. Better than what? just better. He's better than the law, better than Moses, better than Abraham, better than everything. Jesus is better. All the great men and women of faith that are talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, that is known as the, the, like the, the faith chapter. It lists out some of these great men and women of faith. And he's pointing to the fact that all throughout the biblical history, the life of running a race that this author who has perfected is standing, at the vict standing as the victor at the end of it. And he says, all of these people, so chapter 11, verse 39 and 40, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What is that better? That better is a way to come to the end of that race in a better way. It is through Jesus who is better. These are the great ones of the Bible. These are the people you think of when you think of the Bible. These are the stories of people that people who don't even come to church know the stories of. These are the great ones. And the author of Hebrews says that although they were commended for their faith, they didn't receive what was promised since God had provided something better. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. To help us understand this and these people being witnesses, a quick look at it is necessary. These people who held on with faith, people of the old covenant, and I think we can say as well, those of the new covenant who have passed away before us, who are waiting for the final crossing of the finish line of the last saint at the end of time, at the end of all things, these are all eagerly awaiting the finish of the race and the culmination of all things when Christ is the final victor once and for all and we see the enemy crushed and defeated. Their lives stand before us as witnesses to us that we can endure, we can run. They are there, therefore run this race. 
They have all lived out a life as witnesses of endurance. They wait in heaven for the final culmination of all things. They are an example witness to us to keep running. We are running a race marked out before us. It's our race. It's also a race many have run before us. And as they wait before the throne and worship of Jesus, we run with endurance, waiting until that culmination as well. Don't worry, that was one word. We're not gonna unpack the whole chapter at that pace. But we're gonna continue. Throughout the Bible, our walk of faith is described in various ways. The fight, the race, the journey, whatever you call it, the principle is the exact same. We are moving forward from start to finish, from a goal in mind, and there is a reward at the end. Kids, you ever run a race? Adults, eh, let's, I want interaction. Who's run races? Anybody. All the way back to kindergarten and grade school. We, we, we run races. Now, I know it might be deceiving for my looks, but I'm not a runner. Um, I know that looks like I should be. Um, in fact, I actually love all sports except for the running in those sports. <laughs> Soccer's great, I can kick a ball all day, but running up and down, oh my word, I just don't like it. My, my sport of choice is weightlifting, but it doesn't matter, the principle is exactly the same. There is a start, there is a path, a journey, there is something you will travel, et cetera, whatever you wanna call it. There's a finish line and there's a goal in mind and there's a prize available for the victor. If you are running a race, but you only know when it started, but don't know the path or what the goal is, you wouldn't know how to run. You wouldn't know where you were going or what you were doing. Is it a mile run or is it a 26 mile marathon? I'm sorry, 26.2 mile marathon. Is the course on a track or is it cross country? Despite what it may seem like sometimes, we are not left aimless in our life for what our path our race, our journey is. And we are not even without an understanding of what the goal and the outcome of this race will be. Running a race is done with something in mind. There is a goal. Believer, you are not left aimless. No matter what you might think, there is a clear goal on your life. What is that goal? It is to be more like Christ as you run towards the goal of the upward call that is placed upon your life. You have a start, salvation. You have a course, it is your life. You have a pace setter and a path leader. It is Christ who is before you and you have a finish line and that finish line is eternity. Run, get there, endure. As we run this race, we follow the course of being like Jesus by loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves, That is how we run. Is that easy? Little bit of head interaction, I'll take it. No, it's not. Anecdotally, we each know from our own lives that the answer to this is no. We know this, if you've been a believer for even a moment of time, you know that this is hard. But from this very passage, we get this depth of understanding that the author of Hebrews knows this and he wants to directly point us to remember Jesus when it's hard. Who is the author and perfecter for the help that we need? He is there, he has done this. Not only did he develop the race, he ran it. 
and he perfected it, and he gives the help that we need to finish this race. Here's the beauty of it. He doesn't just tell us, he shows us. And he is right there with us as we run, cheering along with the great faithful, awaiting the culmination of the church in our faith, cheering, go, go, but there's sin, go, but it's hard, I know, go, run the race, finish the race, finish it strong, bring about the great culmination of the call that is upon the church and upon your life, accomplish what has been set before you, remain faithful, resist the onslaught of the world, lay aside those sins that cling so closely, endure, you got this, run. And as you run, whether the onslaught of the fallen sinful world, the attack from the enemy or other sinful people, the corrective discipline of the word, the right pruning of a perfect holy God, the endurance through the race remains the same. How do we remain? How do we have endurance? A firm foundation standing upon the finish, culminated work of Christ, bringing about the outcome of our faith, an eternal reward that is remaining for us in heaven. But how do we look to Jesus as an example in this race, if that's what the author of Hebrews wants us to do? This sounds good, but it almost sounds Christianese. You know what that is? Those phrases that we say as Christians that people who aren't Christians kind of look at us and go, that sounds a little weird. Um, but this almost has a, a sound of that, of like, what do you mean run this race with endurance? Like, so we need to rightly understand. The, the author of Hebrews perfectly poised to show us two direct ways that it can be hard while we run and yet not out of the scope of what God has for us to endure. Now, these are not the sole culmination of all the ways, but these are two from this passage. This is the passage I was given, so I'm gonna to point to the two. When the world is hostile and when we are disciplined. We're gonna read verses three and four. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus endured hostility you think? Just a little. I mean, let's consider this for a moment. Uh, the hardship faced Jesus. Um, fully righteous without sin. Comes into the world to be the fulfillment promise from Genesis to be the Messiah. That serpent crusher we looked at when we started Genesis. I mean, he came to be that one, the one who is foretold from ages past, arrives fulfilling all of these promises and all of these prophecies of the coming Messiah, comes to his own people and they reject him. Not only do they reject him, but then it leads to full on killing him. Then he endures in his life, endures temptations of the world. Then he endures a direct satanic temptation to abandon his ministry and the call placed upon his life. He endured all the sins and the harsh realities of what the world would throw at him. And yet he resisted. He resisted giving up, letting the sinful world win over his life. So much so that he even shed his own blood so that sin might not win. And not just that sin might not win over him, but he did it so that sin might never have the final win over any of his followers. He did it for us. He went to the cross and when he did it, he went there thinking of you. It tells us that in the high priestly prayer right before he goes to the cross that he's thinking of us. This should empower you to resist the sin that clings so closely. 
not only is he an example of what we can resist, he is the firm foundation on which we stand on to boldly resist. We resist the sin of the world and we tell it to back off, not because there's something about me that is able to do it, but because I stand on the firm foundation of what Jesus has accomplished. That's how I can look at sin and say, get away. We are firmly planted on the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. That is where we stand. That is the example to us. Consider him and his endurance. Let that spur you on. Do not grow weary in the resisting of sin. When sin is resisted in the power of the Holy Spirit, it is the work of sanctification. Now, don't get me wrong. It's possible to resist sinful things without the Holy Spirit. You'd be like, really? Yeah, think about it for a moment. People do it all the time. People without Jesus give up addictions, determine not to lie, recognize the harm of gossip and strive to be a better person. A person some might call, you know, covered by common grace, a resistance to things that are wrong. That's, that's possible. In fact, I would say that there are Christians that can even give up sinful things apart from sanctification. What I mean by this is they're trying moralism to feel good about themselves. Make no mistake, the fight of being like Christ, the running of the race set before us requires us to recognize that the call upon our lives to be like Christ requires us to be fully dependent upon it happening through his work, not through our own ability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say no to sin. It requires us to be connected to him. We are to stand boldly against sin in the power of sanctification. This requires us to humbly bow in submission to the sanctifying work of God in our lives. We can do all the right things for the wrong reasons in our own strength and appear to be morally in line with what is right and yet be just as equally tied to the idolatry of our own self-righteous living. We have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. To be sanctified in our resisting of sin is to recognize that we resist because we stand on the truths and promises that we are a new creation. We are new. We are not of this world. We are of Christ and we stand on that. We say no to sin in the onslaught of the world because we know we are molded into a new creation. We reject the world because we are no longer of the world. We cling to the kingdom of God. We cling to Christ-like sanctification because we are a new creation. We are wrapped in this identity of Christ. Our race is now one that is run on the course that Christ authored, that he set forth, and that he perfected. So what ways is the world being hostile to you right now? Maybe as you thought, as I gave you a moment to think about it, you thought of ways that sinfulness is being attacked upon you. Maybe the world is tempting you to turn from holiness. Your resisting is getting hard. Your resisting must be firmly planted on the work of Christ, not your own abilities. What does enduring and resisting in the power of Christ look like in your life? It should look like a continual reminder that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are unable to live day in and day out without the firm grace of Jesus given to you. The same grace that saved you, it will sustain you. 
And there's a second way the author of Hebrews connects our sanctification of being made more like Christ to something we might view as hard. The hardship of discipline. Now discipline here is implying two things, both chastisement as well as a discipline that we learn, like learning how to walk or learning a new skill. Now these are things that are essential for our spiritual good, that at the moment seem hard, but are good. Now let's think about it for a moment. The rest of the verses there is through um, chapter, or through verse 11, um, highlights these two types of discipline. Many people, when we talk about discipline, they think of a version of like spiritual discipline, a spiritual uh, timeout. God's like, hey, I'm gonna get the switch. Something like that. There's a form of like corrective chastisement. Now, that's what we tend to think when we think of a discipline. And make no mistake, there actually is a day of reckoning for unrepentant sin in the life of a disciple of Jesus. God cares more about your holy sanctification than he does about your momentary pleasure that you think is better. If corrective discipline is necessary, we should rest in the fact that God is perfect in his holiness. Therefore, his corrective discipline is perfectly for our good. The author of Hebrews ties that together. He compares the way an earthly father would discipline and the way a heavenly father would. If our earthly parents disciplined us for our good, although I'll admit not always perfectly, how much more is a perfect God able to discipline perfectly for my good? So if you have received, or in years down the road, you receive some form of corrective, hard discipline from the Lord, you have to trust that God knows what's best for your sanctification. If corrective discipline is necessary, we should rest in that fact. God makes no mistakes with his discipline. The unique nature of the words in Hebrew is the other form of discipline, a discipline as an instruction or an education. And I think sometimes we forget that this is at play here because the word actually being used in the Greek is paideia, implying a, tu a tutor tutorage or an education or a training. This is the Lord looking at your life, knowing the race that is coming before you, knowing the goal and knowing precisely what we need to endure so that we may be ready for both the challenges ahead of us and the ways we need to be refined. These are usually not easy to endure. Sometimes they can even be painful. I know for my own life, these seem even harder than those spiritual timeouts or those spiritual corrective actions that God may give us. These are sometimes those long, drawn out sanctification moments in our lives. I mentioned earlier that I prefer weightlifting. You know what, someone doesn't just simply walk into a gym and suddenly bench press 400 pounds. It takes time, long, drawn out, sometimes painful challenges, two steps forward, one step back. What are the refinement areas in your life, your life right now that you recognize you need to be more like Christ? I ask you to think of them. Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it slander? Is it gossip? What are the things that we are enjoying right now that seem hard, but the Lord is at work through it for your sanctifying good? Are you learning patience? That's the one we always go to because it's so easy to point to. How many people need to be more patient? I went a while before interactions, so I'm just drawing us back to that. We need more patience. How does God give you more patience? He gives you a trying situation where you have to be more patient. Is that fun? No. You're annoying me. 
go away. No, God says, I want you to be more patient. I want you to learn these things. This is how he works. We have to remember who is disciplining. Guys, he's perfect in his love, perfect in his correcting. He is the source of the direct firm foundation on which we stand. There is no imperfect discipline from the Lord. Let me say that again. There's no imperfect discipline from the Lord. If you are being taught a discipline from God, accept it because he knows what you need. Is that easy? No. We're like little children. We want to resist and kick against it. We trust this process of discipline. Why do we trust it so implicitly? We wholly trust it because we remember, as Philippians 1.6 says, and I mentioned this verse, I realized about five minutes ago, I mentioned this verse back at the beginning of June because it's so important to our walk of faith. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the faithful one to fulfill the work that he promised he would do. He will sustain and he will refine you. It is what he has promised to do. There is an end in mind. The race is there and he says, you are my child. I'll get you there. Trust me to get you there. We are all either A, about to enter a hardship of refinement, B, in the midst of a hardship of refinement, or C, coming out of a hardship of refinement. God is always at work to make us better. Anecdotally, I'll share from you, I know what this is like. I'm gonna share a little testimony of my own life. 10 years ago, Sarah and I had what we describe as the hardest year of our life. We watched my father lose his long battle with cancer and pass away. We lost our home. I lost my job. Our longtime family pet died, which on its own is sad, but in the midst of all of that seemed really difficult. We had to give away another family pet when we lost our home. We moved four times in one year and bounced around between six jobs as we tried to sustain and provide for our young family. And here's the deal. This was not simply one form of hardship. It wasn't just exclusively an onset of sinful world around us. Yes, there was sinfulness being acted against us that was at play in one particular way, but we were also enduring a refinement from God. And I will tell you, there were moments where it felt like I was barely hanging on by the tips of my fingers. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You go to God in prayer. and not, you, don't, you don't even really want to talk to him. You're mad, but you're like, I got to go talk to God. And then you stand there getting ready to pray and you're like, I really don't even want to right now. We've been there before. Every time I looked up, Every time I looked up, I recognized and remembered the promises of God. He was the faithful sustainer and he would hold me fast even if and when my own grip failed. The amount of discipline the Lord walked us through for our good and refinement, it hurt. I remember the pain, the hardship. It's not fun. It was miserable some days. Some days I literally wanted to curse God. Some days I even yelled at God and demanded answers. And sometimes I cried out to God, why? And the only thing I heard was silence. Don't you hear me, God? 
And I stand on the other side of this, looking at it and recognizing that is exactly what the Lord needed to do to draw me closer to himself. I held on to the promises of God in the midst of that as weak and feeble as I was able to. And I was confident of this one simple verse that he who began the work in me would bring it to completion. So I gotta trust that you're up to something for my good, God. I did the only thing, the only thing that the author of Hebrews points us to, which is the next two verses. Hebrews 12, 12 through 13. Therefore, remember, what's the therefore, therefore? All the discipline we looked at, all the corrective hand of God, all the onslaught of a sinful world. If you're in this moment right now where you feel as weak and feeble as you possibly can be and all you're holding on to is this recognition that God is at work, therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I stand here before you confident of this. No matter how low your life feels right now, no matter how backed into a corner you might feel, no matter how harsh the onslaught of the world or the refinement feels right now, look up. Look up. Look up, look up, look up, look up. Look to the author and perfecter of the faith. There is no one greater. He is the one who is the author of all things. If he is so faithful to play out all the details from the beginning of time that could lead to your salvation in the first place, he knows what it's gonna take to get you to the end of this life and to be able to stand before him and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You may enter my rest. He is the one who is faithful in this. Look to the one who will sustain you. Lift those drooping hands. As shaky as they may be, lift them up. Strengthen those weak knees and make straight the path. You have a race to run. Run it. Don't give up. It's not easy. I will not sugarcoat it. It's miserable some days. But God has made his promise. His word is true. And there was no one better to author the start of the race, the path you will run, the goal you have before you, and the fulfillment of all of his promises. Does it seem miserable right now? Trust the perfect God. He knows what he is doing and it is for your good. And as you lift those drooping hands, let it draw you into recognizing all that he is and all that he has authored and all that he has promised. All those saints of old that have, been, that have run before you, all the shedding of blood in resisting sin, all those enduring patiently loving followers of Jesus and join, as the rest of the chapter says, in this celestial choir of worshiping the author and perfecter of our faith. He has drawn out our path and he has a plan for where you are headed. This is confident. The rest of this passage draws our attention to this thing, this mountain of Zion, this holy moment where we're drawn to a new and glorious hope, the holy mountain. This is the culmination of all things, this celestial moment of eternity where, we're, where before the throne, the angels sing and the elders cast their crowns before the lamb that is worthy to be slain. We lift our drooping hands. We come to that holy mountain 
through the blood of the lamb who speaks a better word of this new covenant and we bring ourselves to verse 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hold on, author of Hebrews. You mean even when it's hard? Yes, yes, therefore, once again, it's there again. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God what? Acceptable what? There's a couple of you, come on. Acceptable what? Worship. Worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. What is our response as we run, even if it's hard, even if we're under discipline, even if it's the chastisement of God upon us for our sin, even if it's the sinful world pressing around us, what is our response as we run this race, as we endure the hardship? We worship. Even if we're being reproved, even if we're being corrected, what is our response? It's the same all the time. As a blood-bought people, holy, chosen, and beloved, our response is the same. We draw near to the Holy One and we worship with reverence and awe. So I asked you at the beginning what sanctifying work is being done in you right now. Can you come to the mountain even if you're weak and worn out? Can you read this passage and hear it being taught and be reminded and draw enough from the fountain that will not run dry and lift those drooping hands? Now, I want to say a special word. There's some people, I know what it's like, brothers and sisters in Christ, where you say this, I say this, and you go, I can't even lift my drooping hands right now. I, I, I don't know what that would even look like. Because that's where the body of Christ comes in. That's where you look to a brother and sister in Christ, and you say, I can't even lift my hands right now. I can't even take another step. I'm crawling inch by inch, and sometimes I feel like it's backwards. That's where you lean on each other. You look to each other. You be the body of Christ. So our response is the same, no matter the hardship we're facing, no matter the discipline. We draw near to the Holy One. We worship with reverence and awe. Let's pray. Lord, we are weak. We cannot stand in right sanctification by our own strength. We have to stand on the firm foundation of what you have accomplished. So Lord, we ask that you would remind us now that you would be at work in our lives, that you would make us more like Christ and as you are at work that we would see it and recognize that you are holy and you are worthy and you are perfect in your sanctification so we can stand before you and rightly worship. Be with us now as we continue our worship service, as we reflect and as we come together in communion. Amen.